Coming to you from the city of the weird. Exploring topics from the esoteric and unexplored to dimensions unknown. Shining a light of truth on the darkest corners of our reality. Welcome to the Curious Realm. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Live Curious Realm. Thank you so much for tuning in the last few weeks. We had some great guests. Once again, we never bring you replay content here. It is always new interviews. I was gone on the road for about 25 days. Had a great time this last weekend. Was uh, was busy running all of the AV at... Uh, Lone Star Paracon, so unfortunately was not able to get any interviews, uh, but we have some awesome content tonight for you. Uh, our guest in the first segment is our good friend uh, Earl Gray. He is the head of Southern California MUFON. We will be talking about the recent step down of Sean Kirkpatrick, uh, the head of Arrow, the what is that all domain anomaly reporting office uh and what that what that means for disclosure capital d disclosure uh of the government's knowledge of ufos uaps uh what they might know um and and specifically his his recent statement um stating that conspiracy theories in government drive spending we'll be we'll be getting into some of that and and peeling back that statement and what some of that means in our second segment we will be joined by good friend of the podcast and NDE survivor uh, Mindy Totfest to talk about uh, the void the the other side of NDEs we frequently hear about the 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 tunnel of light uh, family members waiting on the other end, family pets waiting with their favorite toy, feelings of warmth and love. Uh, what about those experiences that are other than? Uh, what are those like? And that was exactly one of the experiences, uh, the experience that Mindy Topfist had um, that led her down a totally different road in life. So we'll be getting into that and and what that means uh when it happens because it's it's more regular than you might think even even IANS the International uh Association of Near Death Studies has started up some groups on that recently that we'll be talking about so uh welcome back to the show in this first segment Earl Gray how are you doing my friend doing good how are you doing chris doing great man i always love having you on we have some great candid conversations and tend to tend to wormhole pretty deep on some things pretty quick so um that i'm excited to happen <laughs> i'm excited to talk with you about this tonight i'm not really excited about the topic i'm kind of saddened um i i i i i honestly enjoyed watching uh sean kirkpatrick speak Whenever, whenever he spoke on the NASA panels, uh, he was very educated. He was very well spoken. Um, he seemed like he was at, at, at least all about his task at hand, which was how are we going to categorize these things and how are we going to move forward with stuff? Um, and apparently for him, that was his whole mission was just 
organizing a means of reporting amongst federal agencies. Um, he has since stepped down uh, from Arrow. And um, what do you, what do you make of his step down, Earl, as of as of right now? Well, you know, I, I I don't think anybody is too saddened about it, especially not in the UFO community. Yeah. Um, I uh, I was hoping for more from him. Uh, yeah. When, when this whole thing began, uh, I had sort of this big caveat because, you know, my my mother worked for the military industrial complex. And when I was a, a kid, she she told me, you know, she told me that UFOs and ETs were real, but that they would never, ever, ever tell the public, um, you know, and, and she usually wouldn't talk about this stuff. But uh, every now and then she would. She would talk a little bit. We talked again after I took her to see the film Star Wars. For some reason, the stars aligned for me, and I got her talking again. And she kind of reiterated what she told me back when I was five years old, uh, that, you know, she said, literally, she said, Star Wars is not far-fetched. The the different spacecraft the different beings all of that it's very very much like that it's not far-fetched at all but they're never going to tell the public and uh and, and my mom worked in aerospace till the day she died she she worked you know she she wound up later on she went back to uh work and she kept her security clearances and she worked as a uh, a corporate headhunter for all the major aerospace companies yeah. you know i mean the the, the companies that uh, supposedly have the materials and the bodies and all that well it reads like my mother's old uh, you know client list is lockheed and trw and northrop and etc um but she was very emphatic about it that they weren't going to tell the public and and i asked her why and she said well they're afraid of how the public's going to react and she mentioned uh the war of the world's radio broadcast back mm. in the 1930s yeah. and how people were barricading themselves into the houses with their families with guns and some jumped out of windows apparently and uh they they you know and i don't know if she was I get the feeling that she might have been repeating something that she was told, like the line that they were supposed to, that they were given themselves, perhaps, of why the public isn't told. And my feeling was, well, maybe something's changed since 1977 when she told me that. Yeah. You know, we, we talked about some of these issues over the years after that, but never quite as, as clearly as she did back after that film, after she, she saw that. For some reason, it really kind of opened the gates of conversation on the topic for her. Um, but it looks like, my guess is, is that that has not changed, that uh, it's probably that these materials, you have to remember that they're in the hands of all these private companies. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. And they have everything to lose by coming forward. And I mean, if they they disclose this to the the world, to the public, American public, they're disclosing it to the world, to our enemies and everybody else. Yeah. Well, now, I, I hoped maybe this would, you know, change some. But but I don't know. I mean, well, it sounds like the same old arguments. Well, and, uh, you know, I've I have fallen in the camp of Steve Bassett for for years and years and 
utterly back his work. A lot of people are upset with him, like, oh, what's he doing? It's like, you you have to understand, much like anything with targeted individuals and, and the technology that may be used to target them, the only way that you are going to rein that in is through legislature. Yeah. Like, it, it is through a legal means. that That's how. And, and the only way that capital D disclosure is going to happen is through a legal means. It's going to be through a pressure point from Congress to the contractors, forcing them. Um, but yes. it's going to have to go through that because, yeah, otherwise, um, they. It, I have said two things on this show for years about capital D disclosure. One, it'll have to come through legal means. Two, you can expect them not to disclose a damn thing that does not make them money. Hmm. <laughs> like, Agree. It, it's just Agree. that simple. And and yes, you know, there's going to have to be some kind of small D disclosure, small leaks. Like we, we see things, metamaterials, all kinds of stuff pop up regularly. Um, and even even the use of AI for for going through materials, stuff like that. Uh, absolutely amazing. So, so will it be the fact of like some of this came through black programs and stuff like that and is now hitting market? Absolutely. You know, like we'll, we'll see things like that. Um, but, but I doubt seriously that we will see anything rolled out on the floor of Congress and a big sheet pulled off of it. I wish. I, I wish like I, and and, you know, I am I am a believer's believer when it comes to extraterrestrial life, when it comes to UFOs, UAPs, uh, both man-made and other either other dimensional or otherworldly Earl. Um, there there is a realm of these phenomena that is fully unexplainable by means that we have Um and and I think I think that is what's hard for a lot of people to understand. I believe that Philip Corso was honest when he talked about farming all these different technologies out mm. to say the Bell Labs and yeah, yeah. you know uh, Battelle Institute apparently got materials. I've heard that from different sources. Uh, some that worked there themselves. Uh, our friend Irina Scott, she she worked at Patel. And she said that that was the talk, you know, that they had some materials that were not ours. Um, but, I, you know, I think that one of the big concerns about disclosure with officialdom and with the these, you know, the military industrial complex, which I think is holding back the gates, is that they're going to have a lot of explaining to do. I mean, they, right now, you know, I mean, even when President Obama was asked about Roswell, he, he gave that usual meme that we hear. I, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that from, you know, friends that worked at Lockheed. And, and uh, you know, that seems to be another one of those pat answers that they say jokingly, but it's not really a joke. Uh, I really don't think that they want to give this technology up. I don't want, I don't think that they want to explain where it came from. Um, I think that it's going to make certain uh, inventors and, and scientists at Bell Labs and elsewhere look like they weren't quite the geniuses that they were, that they had help 
coming up with things like microcircuitry and and transformers mm. and, and and you know <laughs> uh, Kevlar and, and and night vision glasses and all that stuff. I mean, I know that Bill Burns was the co-author on the day after Roswell, and that he took some liberties, especially in those first three chapters. Corso himself said, "Just throw out the first three chapters and." The- rest of the book is pretty accurate um but the you know i mean that's pretty much the the whole the the whole story and i know when i read that book um i was really stricken by how closely it it seemed to align with this you know with what my mom told me and 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 what she knew um it seemed very very familiar (laughs) Uh, to the point where I went off and, you know, I became a, a MUFON field investigator. <laughs> it was one of the defining yeah. reasons why. Yeah. Uh, but they have everything to lose, you know, by coming forward. I mean, they're going to have to explain why they, you know, put Roswell, the, the, the town of Roswell, pretty much under police state for three weeks. Um, yeah. You know, there. I think there's bodies buried under this. You know, James Forrestal, you know, there's questions about, you know, what happened to him, who was head of the Department of Defense. Uh, yeah. You know, it was very fishy. Uh, they, they've been putting this under the rug forever and ever. And, and I think that, uh, you know, it seemed to me like, you know, our hopes were all really kind of up. And, and and I felt really, you know, Robert Solis is a good friend of mine. Uh, David Shindley was, he, he was also the commander of, of Minot uh, Air wow. Force Base. And they were both the two, they were the two Air Force bases that were shut down, the ICBMs, yeah. 10 of them. Per, per base were shut down by UFO. Same story. It was like repeat, just like uh, the the flyover in 1952. They, yeah. they did it once and then they did it again just to get their point across. Well, and the the well, they went. Let, let me finish my please. my thought and then I'll shut up. But that you know, I I know that, you know they were telling me, well, we're going to be going and speaking in front of Congress. We're going to be speaking to the Arrow Group, and uh, after it happened, they were both disgusted. I mean, I I was talking with them both, and they said it was like talking to a brick wall. Wow. I mean, they were trying to rush us through our accounts. Uh, it, it felt like it was it was just lying on. It, it was hitting deaf ears, uh, and and I started. Feeling, you know, seeing some red flags at that point, and that was last uh, February, I think, that they went in and, and oh, wow. gave their account. Wow, and uh, you know, I was going to say that was one of the many cases that was brought up in some of the first hearings where they were like, "Well, you know, have have y'all looked into this?" Like, no, no, we've never. But but you're the people that would look like just making sure you're the people that if. If something jacked with our nuclear missiles, you'd be the people looking into it. <laughs> yes. And you never looked into this. No. Do you believe that? <laughs> like, what? What? <laughs> Do you believe that, what? Chris? I don't I don't know. I, I don't I don't fully believe no. it. No. Um, <laughs> no. Not at all. Like, I, I guarantee no. you there was much, much work done on that. <laughs> Um, and there, there are all kinds of stories out there, Earl. Um, stories of forced downings. Um, even, even you know, Robert Bigelow saying that, like, yes, we we have things, we just can't do anything with them. <laughs> you know, like we'd we'd love to do something with them and even be able to fully reverse engineer them. We we just ain't, ain't anywhere near it. 
well, maybe that's the other thing is maybe they're going to wind up with with, you know, like like looking stupid if they do disclose because they haven't been able to figure any of this stuff out. You know, and I think they have figured some things out. I mean, I do believe that, you know, microcircuitry and transformers and so that because uh, i mean i have a friend of mine uh, ron rager he, he sent me a box of docs for christmas it's like the ufologist's dream you know it's cool. a box of documents oh my god but he had all these documents where they're trying to pry this information out of foia he had a lawyer that was working with him and and, and it was primarily the course of story that they were trying to get some transparency on oh wow and uh it was very very compelling evidence and and you can tell though that that back you know they they just keep shutting that door they they just and and of course a FOIA request doesn't work with private industry that's why they farmed it all out yeah yeah you know if it was the air force doing it they would have to respond <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. well and and that's just it that and i think that is some of where uh you know kirkpatrick is saying that like there's no government conspiracy you know, kind of like, kind of like whenever they changed the designation to UAP and never told anybody for years and years and years. And like, you sure well, every branding four, it. every four years, they want to act like it's new. Well, you know? Oh, yeah. No, no. It was done years ago, years ago, yeah. like under a tip, you know. So it was one yeah. of those. If you were submitting FOIA requests for UFOs, they weren't lying when they were saying <laughs> we aren't looking into UFOs. Yep. We, yep. we classified it all as UAPs. Feel free to send us a FOIA for that. You know, <laughs> um, they're sly. They're slippery. And, it's and, pretty ingenious, uh, but it's not helping us. It's not helping it's, the cause. No. <laughs> so how, what do you think about, okay, so he was like saying that, well, these, these people in Congress, they're true believers, and it's like a religion for them. And, you know, just, just seeing, you know, I, I actually, I didn't, want to listen to the full interview i i, I read yeah. the article yeah yeah I, that was enough uh, to see where what the gist of this guy's you know whole just everything he's putting out there was well, and, uh, true believers he said it's like a religion for them and yeah. and that uh, these people are predisposed and it's a self-looking ice cream cone like you said it's a waste of money you know <laughs> well and and you know the the uh, the self-looking ice cream cone of money i can i can definitely understand and you know the, the do we have to Put everything into the Kleenex bin known as alien, you know, and that is that is something that I bring up on the show regularly for years and years. That's that's one of the reasons why I loved the relabeling to UAP, because it it took things out of the UFO bin, you know, and let's say mm -hmm. because, yeah, now you're talking science when you're talking an anomaly that is directly the realm of science like that science's job is to find out what the anomaly is you know i mean um, we don't know where these things are coming from yeah i mean you know i i love the idea of of it being aliens from you know zeti reticuli and stuff too you know sure. but i i tend like a lot of most ufologists i think that are serious about it uh, Heineck Valet and, and and a multitude of others. Paul Heineck now in his mm. father's steps. Uh, we tend to lean a lot towards the interdimensional uh, origin for a lot of this. That is that is where I lean as well. Is 
interdimensional it's right next door. They're not traveling millions yeah. of light years to to come and, and and do what? Do cosmic air shows to show off their hot rods? I mean, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. Well, but and, it may just be a quick jump through, you know, some little wormhole to this universe here that's right next door and yeah. Um, who knows? Maybe it's like a parallel version of humanity and, and their technology is way the heck past ours. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, I mean, even even us uh, from the future, the, yeah. the work of Dr. Michael Masters and extrapolating mm. out humanity. And, uh, you know, especially when you start, uh, we had a conversation just the other day with uh, Kathleen Martin Um about about many of the messages that people get and many of the messages that they get are don't do this to yourselves again mm-hmm. you know because obviously we have destroyed ourselves before and for some reason they are very interested in the impurities of our body and and you know finding out like what we are contaminated with Things like that. So if you extrapolate that out, yeah, the work of Dr. Michael Masters makes a lot of sense if it's people from the future trying to come back and figure out what we did to our world and how it could be fixed. Um, I like that. You know, I mean, it makes sense. And, and you know, I'll tell you the truth. I mean, to be an honest a ufologist, and and I will answer to that title, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> expert, As well, I, you, you know, should. I had somebody call me a UFO expert. It's like, well, I don't even know if there's such a thing, you know, but ufologist works, and I do teach accredited course in ufology at a right. local college here and stuff. Um, so ufologist works, although you can't get a doctorate in it yet. I hope that changes someday. Uh, <laughs> Fitzpatrick or is it Kirkpatrick or yeah, Fitzpatrick. Kirkpatrick. Kirkpatrick has his way. They, there will never be a doctor in this. You know, according to him, we're a bunch of people following witch doctory and yeah. stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I think that the interdimensional thing makes a lot of sense. And I have to keep an open mind. I can't be yeah. pigeonholed into one hypothesis that happens to be my favorite. Well, and and um, what's interesting is that Kirkpatrick himself has has co-written a paper with Avi Loeb, yet to be released, but he's co-written a paper with Avi Loeb, does not deny it, about how these may be probes from another civilization, you know, or a, or a mothership, hmm. something like that. So he's he's not putting things past the realm. What What he's saying is, Everything that we have, at least the stuff that they looked at, has no evidence of extraterrestrials, um, that there's no evidence of aliens and that they're uh, with everything he has is not an evidence of a government conspiracy to hide such. Hmm. Um, if it's dimensional or us from the future, that we, he, he's being honest. It yeah, wouldn't be aliens. So, again, true. it's like the UFO as opposed to UAP nomenclature. Well, so maybe exactly. it's just that much more, you know, obfuscation well, you know, in, and, of language, you know. But, but it also, you know, uh, once again, makes sense whenever a lot of people were very upset in many communities whenever, you know, the the term uh, non-biological started being used. Uh, when UAP started being used, I am I am a fan of such things because it takes it out of the box that scientists were afraid to put their claw in. Um, and and now we at least have scientists that are willing to look at things 
because they're anomalous and it's it's fascinating and that's what science does is is study anomaly because if you don't know the anomaly then then you can't subtract it from a data set to to find your actual answer for something else you know um, yes I, I agree and i mean the, i think our worst our worst problem sometimes is presupposition and yeah. and, and predeciding things because we like a particular uh, you know theory or you know, it's like the steady state theory was, you know, Fred, Fred, Dr. Frederick Hoyle, you know, it was his baby. Yeah. And he that was like he was the sort of the Carl Sagan of his time. And of course, it went to the Big Bang. Although now some people are talking about maybe the steady state theory was correct. So, you know, science has been wrong. They'll be wrong again. Well, exactly. um, ufologists have been wrong. We'll be wrong again. But you got to keep working. You got to keep picking at this well, thing. And, and well, and that's just it. Like, I've, I've there's a lot of people in many communities that I belong to that treat the capital S term skeptic in a horrible way, Earl. Um I wear skeptic with a badge of honor. My my job, I am a true believer in all of these things. I have had my paranormal experiences. I have seen a weird thing flying through the sky. <laughs> Wasn't a craft, but I don't know what the hell it was, man. Um, I've, I've seen shadow people. I've, I've, I've all kinds of things. Um, You've seen but, stuff I haven't seen. But it is, but it is my, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't behoove me to just, say everything is you know um we yeah. we have to be willing to look at things through the lenses that they are we have to be willing to accept data sets that are there um a big example which i'm getting ready to have mark d'antonio on about is the jellyfish ufo oh that just came out <laughs> Him, uh, what do you think it is? The, I, I keep... think Thiago did a did a fantastic job. I think he and he and Mark D'Antonio did a fantastic job, and and I don't even call that debunking. Yeah, it's not it even was the debunking. balloons for the the, it is, the yeah. Muslim uh, holiday yeah. that was happening. Caught in a jet stream, moving motionless, like it's mm. it happens regularly with a balloon. You know, but it's and then I mean, there was even the one video um, go fast that was that was completely de uh, debunked in the same way by NASA in the first panel where they were like, look, we have all this information right here on the camera for trigonometry. Let's start doing it real quick. Hmm. And within three slides, he was like, this is a known size object moving in a slipstream of air, hmm. you know, hmm. like. This is this is there's not so many things that they can't explain that as well. Yes. And, and, and the thing about, you know, OK, to be a MUFON field investigator and, and this. Yeah, let's sometimes sometimes it, it turns people off. I'll have people become a field investigator and they'll, they'll do a few cases and quit because it depresses them or that it's not going to be all these UFO sightings all the time. Well, um, Hynek's rule of thumb, it seems to uh, stand up to today, which it was, you know, five to 10% of UFO reports are interesting and the rest yeah. are usually explainable. Absolutely. And we find that to hold pretty darn true. Now, uh, so, you know, I've been doing this for about nine years now. I've, I've had a thousand, over a thousand UFO cases I've personally investigated. 
And out of that thousand, there's maybe 90 to 100 cases that are interesting that I consider UFOs. I don't know if they were alien craft. I don't know if they're interdimensional or something that uh, is a black project that uh, its origin was here. But I certainly can't explain them. And now, if you want to have your UFOs, you've got to debunk your fakes. You've got to you've got to go in there and, and figure stuff out, or else somebody else is going to do it for you. Mick West is going to do it for you, and he's not so nice. Mark Antonio will take care of it for you. Lickety split. But now Mark has had a he's had a very anomalous experience himself. He had one, you know, people that probably heard my story. If you watch Ancient Aliens, you know, it's been on there. And I've I've had a face to face weird, weird encounter yeah. that was scary and I can't explain it. I simply can't. Uh, whether it was interdimensionals or it was uh, aliens or it was uh, MK Ultra trying to make me think that they were aliens, I don't know. It sure, sure freaked me out, though. You know, it was yeah. all the bells and whistles. Oz effect happened. The room filling with light, uh, and the, you know, and they did something impossible. They came through a solid wall. Um, but I, you know, Mark D'Antonio has a, has a story, a personal one, that I was shocked to hear. You know, we we were both on a panel at AlienCon last year, and he told his story. And I, I guess I had the wrong impression of Mark. I, I kind of always thought of him as kind of the the cold hard debunker on everything. But uh, he he knows that there's stuff in this universe that we don't understand. Yeah. Uh, but I think like Mark, it's, it's the same way that I feel that if you want those things, you have to be willing to go in there and call dr- a drone, a drone, That's a bunch right. of balloons, a bunch of balloons. Yes, exactly. You know, you have to. You have to. Well, because if you, in the, you know, I, I work in the community of targeted individuals, things like that. I've been to a few targeted individuals properties. And the first thing I do before I pull out tons of RF gear to start scanning for gigahertz frequencies, things like that. Let's pull out a gas detector and a radon <laughs> detector. Let's, let's, you know, pull up, pull out my Geiger counter, things like that. Make sure that you don't have like a hidden fault line or, you know, a gas leak in your house, maybe something like that that could be causing some of the same kind of symptomology. Mm. Uh, let's get rid of known quantitatives until we leave the anomaly and once we've got just the anomaly, now we know what what we're looking for, you know, and, and now we can focus attention on the scientific. Uh, I'm a believer in science. I love science. I grew up loving science. And I, I, I still adhere to it today. It science is imperfect. I mean, no. You know, (laughs) and And people react to scientific discoveries today the same way. Okay, like think of Galileo's telescope. I mean, the church came in and they 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 wanted him to recant it as being demon possessed because it showed that the Earth wasn't the center of everything. Yeah. You know, for God's sakes, you know, Jupiter has moons going around it. It must be it's 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 possessed by the devil. Yeah. And and apparently there there's there's still that kind of ribbon running through uh, through officialdom. Uh, I've heard that some people in, in officialdom don't want us to be investigating UFOs because they think it's from the devil. And uh, boy, that's pretty self defeating. And it's kind of at least they didn't put 
the ufologists under house arrest like they did with with Galileo. But uh, I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's to come. I. <laughs> but we were talking earlier. You said something that, that struck me really. And, and I want to bring it up again because sure. there's a, a beautiful analogy. It seemed like. I mean, it felt to me like there was an intent, though, that, that, that what was going on with Arrow wasn't wasn't what it appeared to be. I mean, they, they weren't hoping to go and, and disclose. Yeah. Uh, they sort of took every single UFO story and every single UFO, you know, historical case, and they bundled them into one big cord and at the very end, they just like chopped that cord. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's they've done this before. You know, I mean, the Condon report did the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, Dr. Heineck. Yeah. I mean, he was going along with ridiculous uh, explanations for UFOs. And finally, the, the, the swamp gas thing, he, he had enough. He, he was embarrassed by pretty much what they told him to tell the public. And uh, and that's when he went and, and, and became serious about trying to really figure out what this thing was. Well, and which, you know, uh, I don't know if he ever did, but yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> we carry it on. Well, and that's just it. You know, there, I think that there is a, there is on one hand a, a full on cadre of people, uh, good senators out there that are trying to find out truth. Uh, from contractors, that kind of stuff, trying to get things uh, sorted out and trying to have that disclosure happen. Um, but at the same time, I think that there are definitely those that, uh, I guess, kind of in the modern term, throw shade, so to speak, <laughs> uh, Earl. And, and you know, much much like uh, Kilpatrick said, or Kirkpatrick said, uh, worrisome is the willingness of some to make judgments and take actions on these stories without having seen or requested supporting evidence, an omission that is all the more problematic when the claims are so extraordinary. Um, and, and you know, there there is a truth there. There is a truth yeah. there. There is. A, and I I say it on the show regularly. You know, I I abide by that rule of. Great claims require great, great amounts of evidence. And I consider evidence to be like what I would give my lawyer to save my life. That's evidence. You know, like, well, hey, now, this will exonerate me. Remember uh, that, that. That's the level threshold of evidence that somebody should be yes. looking for. Oh, Yeah. Well, you know, he's calling like the meta materials and stuff like the casing from a 1950s missile. Yeah. And I think that's BS. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think that there's a lot of obfuscation. And and again, you know, I mean, my mom, you know, told me, I mean, she would have known she she, you know, apparently worked in an underground lab back in the 50s. And she yeah. uh, thought I was too young to remember and she told me pretty much disclosure blah it's 1963 it's like all these stories weren't really out there back then underground base that is sort of like a city under the desert german rocket scientists uh ufos are real and and there's such a thing as uh non-human uh beings out yeah. there 
and that was that was what she told me and where where did that come from so i mean witness testimony i think as as much as we want hard cold evidence and i think that there is some of that out there same you have to remember that witness testimony has put people in prison or or had them executed you know That's right. it holds up in a court of law um now Schumer's transparency bill was pretty much rendered toothless by who? Do you 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 know who? Yeah. There were four politicians. I'm not going to mention you know their affiliate their political affiliations. People probably do. Weren't the people that you would you know kind of expect to do this? Um, but they what was interesting about those four guys that that kind of shut down Schumer's transparency bill was that they all get their campaign finances from whom? Lockheed, TRW, Northrop. Uh, you know, it, it read like a litany of, of my mom's old accounts from wow. back when she was a corporate headhunter for the, you know, for these aerospace companies. So I, I think, you know, if, if anybody has anything to lose, if there are meta materials, if, if Corso's story is in fact true, those are the guys that have something to lose. They don't want to give this stuff up. And uh, I yeah. think that those are the guys that shut down whatever bit of disclosure we might have gotten. And it would have been nice if we had gotten some disclosure. I, I was God, I was hoping for it. I'm still open for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, once again, it. it it will only be leveraged through legal means. It'll only come through something like Schumer's transparency bill that was supposed yeah. to open those doors and clear those pathways. Because um, I've, I've, I've held for a long time, um, say what you want about Grisha's testimony and, and what he said about bodies, craft, debris, what have you. Um, what he was really talking about was a network of money shifting that's been going on since the 40s. Before, yeah. since Before. 1939, <laughs> he said. So yeah. trillions of dollars, T's of zeros rolling around in private hands. Things and all like that, that is to be lost if they come and, forward with this transparency. And yeah. they see it that way. And so they're, they doubled down on these politicians and gave them a reason to not uh, okay the bill as it was. The way it was, it might have pried some of this stuff out of the hands of these people if they, in fact, do have it. And I think personally that they do. Um, it would have worked. But uh, the good news is... Chris says that you and I and MUFON and Avi Loeb and his group and well we all still have a job yeah because if true. disclosure had happened well what you know who needs MUFON <laughs> I mean what would we be doing we'd be sitting in front of the fire telling old war stories about how nice it was in pre-disclosure times yeah, yeah. when we were still needed and there is this mystery that uh, we were hoping to understand and, and solve and Right. So uh, I've always said this to my field investigators who I do ask to be they have to, you know, walk a tight a tightrope. 
You know, you have to be perfectly weighted, skeptic and true believer, perfectly yeah. on both sides. That is the best field investigator, the best UFO uh, investigator that you can have. Uh, but if they tilt a little bit too far to this side, to true believer, or too far over to the skeptic thing, uh, it, it messes up. They fall off the tightrope and their work isn't good or as good. So uh, the good news is that you guys have a job. <laughs> All the UFO shows and podcasts, et cetera, are not going still got, anywhere. Still you got know, plenty to talk about. Um, <laughs> and we get to have this great mystery that hopefully we can solve. We are disclosure. That's what I tell all my people. That's true. You are disclosure. I am disclosure. We are disclosure. Well, and it's, it's uh, you know, much like I say at the end of every show, it's about the conversation, Earl, and it's about the willingness to have the conversation. Uh, it's about the willingness to have your mind changed about something to, uh, I guess, coldly take in points of datum into your data set and just consider them that you don't you don't have to passionately agree or disagree with a point of datum um it's just a point of datum you know were you an easy sell on the ufo phenomenon were were you were you skeptical of it at one time i sure was I mean, I got the lecture from my mom, and I still I had trouble believing it. You know, Carl Sagan says this. Isaac Asimov rolls his eyes at it. Even Arthur Clarke says, you yeah. know, it's stupid. And it, it was very difficult for me to wrap my head around that this might actually be a real thing. It, it and, became it became in my in my later twenties, early thirties, after I'd done quite a bit of research on things and just kind of. Uh, rabbit hole into the world of this kind of stuff that it, it mm. more and more became truth for me. Um, at, at least, you know, the, the fact that other cultures have seen things that there is a, that there is a narrative across humanity yeah. about, about seeing things in the skies. Um, Not an American about, phenomenon. No. It's all, it's, it's worldwide. You know, yeah. people, I've heard people say, oh, it's an American phenomenon. Some, some gal in Australia was saying that to me, you know, and I, I had to okay, feel free to, to go talk her, to the aborigines. No, no, please. no. Let me tell you about a UFO landing at a school, you know, Westall school. And let me, yeah. let me introduce you to the multitude of Australian sightings, you yeah. know. <laughs> Let yeah. me introduce you to, to the work of George Mitrovic, and, and and there there are plenty of wonderful Australian uh, well, ufologists. And there was it's, recently the guy uh, who came out and said, like, "Oh, I don't know what all my classmates are talking about." Like, I I pointed at a rock and said that there was something, and everybody oh. just kind of went crazy and said that that's what it was. And it's like. Yeah, I don't know that about seems that a little drug-addled to me. Like, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I don't want to say that, that about but, somebody, but because uh, <laughs> there were teachers, all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, he was so, the only one that said it was a rocker. And then, of course, yeah. Mick West has his puppet show. You know, it's like God. You know, come on, dude, got to come up with something better than that. That's well, that's just not working for me. Well, and the, <laughs> the, the, the plus side about Arrow. Um, is is once again the at least the unified reporting system that now exists um the fact that there is no yeah. longer a stigma to reporting um 
And, you know, it's it's interesting how yeah, alphabet agencies and and government agencies, uh, people like the DIA have backdoor funded um, sharing of data from other agencies, things like that. Um, it's it's pretty, pretty interesting once you start digging into all of that and seeing, the, yeah. you know. Uh, it's done some wonderful stuff. And, uh, you know, I mean, we just keep on. <laughs> I don't want to feel like Sisyphus, you know, pushing the boulder up the cliff for all eternity. But it's just pushing the boulder up a little bit higher up that cliff. And unlike Sisyphus, I think that eventually, you know, we probably are going to get that boulder to the top and it's going to roll. And, you know, the, the floodgates are going to open. But this time it didn't, you know. But you don't give up and keep doing what we do. I have uh, just uh, among my own cases, I have like a hundred out of a thousand that I certainly can't explain. And I try to debunk my own cases. I won't put yeah. unknown on a case until, you know, I can't. There's just no other what, explanation for it. What you know? is what is your most interesting case of 2023, Earl? Oh, goodness. Um, what's the what's the one from they the keep last on year that just they keep, kinda, that's the thing just kind of digs in your skull on the daily? I had one case where uh, and I have to be careful because I don't want to, because the the witness wants to remain anonymous. Yeah. But uh, it was a historic case where she and her brother lived on the edge of the woods, actually in the middle of the woods. Their father was a park ranger at a national park. And this woman, uh, when she was a child, she had a, 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 a fatal lung ailment, was not supposed to live past puberty. Um, and uh, they saw the mother, the brother and the sister saw some saw a UFO land. And apparently there was like a circular patch of grass that was all messed up behind the, the house, which is a ranger's house. The father was a ranger in this forest. Mm. Well, the little girl came up to the window and she opened the window and she saw because she saw these bright lights spinning around outside and she didn't know what it was. And so she got up out of her bed and, and remember, she this kid was was sick. She was kind of an invalid. She got to the window and there are these self-illuminated balls of light spinning around. And she's watching them. She's kind of getting scared. And when she starts becoming afraid of them, they get happy faces like you know the have a nice day what? <laughs> like emoji okay balls? so she watches us for a while and as children are kind of magical she gets tired and she drags herself back to bed and sleeps repeats the next night this time she comes right up to the window and one of these balls of light comes right up to her and it becomes our friendly, uh, what I guess you would call a gray alien. You know, the black eyes, the, oh, wow. the afterthought of a mouth. Next thing she knows, it's morning. She's tucked into her bed and she can't breathe through her nose. She's feeling her face. It feels weird. It feels like this scab that's covering half her face. Yells and yells out for her mother. Her mother puts hot compresses on it, and as she's yeah, her half her face was covered with like a scab. Wow. As the mom is getting this off her face, she realizes that her daughter's lungs are perfectly clear. Uh, <laughs> they took her to the doctor. 
doctor, and uh, the child's lungs were fine. She went on to live a normal life. Uh, I believe she was in her early 50s when she made her report last year. Uh, That one stuck out to me. I thought it was a beautiful report. I spoke with a brother. I spoke with the main witness. And I spoke with the mother. She's still with us. She's, you know, up up there in her years. But she was all there. Uh, She said, I don't want to talk about it. It still scares me. It freaks me out. But my daughter is telling you the truth. My son and daughter are telling you what happened. Wow. That that was maybe one of my favorite cases. <laughs> you know, it's 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 interesting. That is that is one of the things that we've got Kathleen Martin coming on in a second part here in a few weeks. Um, it's my mentor, you know. She is an amazing, amazing woman, and we we get into some of the healing situations that experiencers get into like that where where major things about them are healed and gone or where they come back with even other qualities where they can help heal people yeah Um, yeah that's true there's a certain innate beauty to some of these cases there's other ones that scare the hell out of me but you know it's not all one thing that's coming across into our world and uh yeah you know maybe as long as there's freedom of choice in the universe you're going to bump into baddies and goodies right but uh, this was definitely some good uh, entities and they helped this little girl and, uh, you know, the, the, I, I, I did interview this person, you know, a few times and the brother and the mother. And there was just a lot of emotion and tears there. It was very emotional for them still. Yeah. And, yeah, and, you know, she talked about, you know, going on and living a normal life, becoming kind of a rebellious teenager and doing all that stuff. But that she kept on coming back to that. I'm not supposed to be here. But somehow or another, I'm here, and it's because this impossible thing happened. And I love the screen image that she was given. You know, there's not just screen memories that people get, you know. Like yeah. Michael Cleland, you hear about the owls as kind of a recurring screen image that yep. people are left with. But I loved the happy, the yellow happy faces because yeah. it was, you saw that everywhere back in the 1970s. And she was at the age where that's the age she would have been right at that time. Wow. And they picked something. And as soon as she started showing some signs of fear, they, 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 Try to allay her fear used, in that way. Used a familiar trope to yes. to relax her. Um, it still is, you know. Now it's an emoji, but it yeah. used to be a bumper sticker. Oh know, yeah, a patch pins, on your blue jeans, pins, you know, all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow, Earl, thank you so much for your time as always, man. I know I uh, reached out at the midnight hour yesterday, but. Um, thanks for coming on, talking about this. I think it's it's one of those that um, there were a lot of people that were calling for Kirkpatrick's resignation long, long ago, uh, mm-hmm. whenever things first got announced with Arrow. Um, I, I'm, I'm once again happy that there is at least a unified reporting system. If that is what the gentleman thinks his job was entirely Uh, was to get that going and get things straightened out and get people on the track of let's look at this scientifically if we get to the point of aliens whatever um but yeah yeah we'll we'll see what the fate of arrow is and uh what what happens in the future with the with the upcoming report that's supposed to be released let's hope 
let's cross our fingers. Let's hope against hope. Yeah. I mean, Steve Bassett is one of my dearest friends. He's going to be speaking to my MUFON group awesome. on the 15th of February what? here in Los Angeles. So, oh, by the way, if anybody is in the LA area, go to SoCalMUFON.com. It's just S-O-C-A-L MUFON.com. And you can find our schedule of uh, meetings and, and uh, events and such there. So, Thank you, Chris. Hey, absolutely, man. Always a pleasure. It's always great having you on, Earl. I love what you do. Um, keep in touch. I'll be sharing links, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, thank you. Thank you, as always, bud. Um, talk to you soon. Uh, care. <laughs> all right. Uh, man, always awesome talking with Earl Gray. He is such an amazing individual, folks. Uh, while you have the opportunity to stop on by and follow everything that he is doing at Southern California MUFON at SoCalMUFON.com. Make sure to stop on by MUFON.com. That is where you can go and support MUFON. That is where you can become an a field investigator. I am getting ready to go through field investigator training. Um, I've read the, I've read through the book. Um, I've gotten to the back page. We'll see what happens. Um, while you are online checking out everything from MUFON, of course, make sure to stop on by Curious Realm. CuriousRealm.com is where you can find all the episodes. That is where you can like, follow, subscribe, share, comment. That's where you can catch the live show every week. Um, you know, we, we are streaming live right now on the website. So uh, stop on by. Check that out. You can also stop on by CuriousRealm.com forward slash store and get all of the books and videos from our guests. Uh, stay tuned through this quick break, everybody. Uh, when we return, we will have our good friend Mindy Topfist on to discuss the darker side of NDEs, uh, what it is like visiting the void and coming back. Uh, we will get into that and so much more with Mindy Topfist right after this. Everybody and welcome back from that commercial break. Thank you so much to all of our sponsors, especially WebWorks Wireless. They are your source, everybody, for credit check free, throttling free internet anywhere that you have cell phone signal. I am here to tell you they have been providing our live streams to our website since we started here at Curious Realm. And we have yet to have a drop. We have tested that system all across the country. Uh, amazing, amazing stuff. Stop on by and check them out. WebWorks Wireless is the website that you want to go to. Uh, our guest in this segment is a good friend of the show. Also an amazing researcher in the world of not only NDE, but, uh, 
She is also the owner-director of the Hayden Hughes International UFO Bureau. Mindy Topfist, the author of Dying to Meet Them, is our guest in this segment. Welcome back to the show, Mindy. How are you today? Great. Thank you for having me back, Chris. You know, we just, we never quit talking. <laughs> it goes and goes. I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those, at, at some point, we should start recording this stuff. <laughs> yeah just just replay all the conversations and, and drive it. um that's it we get into some good conversations well you know it's because there's a lot of topics that we have similarly in our lives mindy and uh near-death experience is one of those that has fascinated me for decades uh i am a member of IANS, the International Near-Death Studies, uh, or International Association of Near-Death Studies. I sponsored their conference a couple years ago along with the Bigelow Institute. Um, an amazing conference. I gotta say, one of, probably one of the most gut-kicking moments of my energetic life, walking into that building with so many survivors. Um, it was, it was very interesting to the point that it put me down, like, uh, I'd like to say sick, but I wasn't sick. It was, it was just like energy overload. Um, that's it. Was, it. it was wild. Very interesting. And these people have been right in the, the thick of the source. I mean, they carry that energy signature back with them. And, um, I'm one of them. I, I know. And I know how I affected even electronics and everything. Everything there for the first few years, things would shut off and mess up. And I blew out a few microwaves and, you know, street wow. lamps going out. And um, I, I can't imagine being in a whole building full of people who have had these kind of encounters. Yeah, it is uh, a very overwhelming experience, to say the least. And sitting, listening to stories, listening to people's encounters with the other side. Um your yours is a very unique one, Mindy. There, and I wouldn't say in, incredibly unique, but unique when it comes to sharing, because uh, it seems as though people with, I guess, ultimately your experience was not negative, Mindy, uh, in the way that it changed you, steeled your life, but. It it yeah. wasn't it wasn't like the the happy warm feeling light at the end of the tunnel experience that most right. people report. Yeah, um, and and they use the term distressing near death experience that was actually coined by Nancy Evans Bush, who was a secretary for IONS and worked with all the greats and kind of all the founding members that put together IONS. Mm. Uh, these are the big names, Grayson and Ring, that yeah. uh, banded together to form this to help people who had been through these kind of encounters. And it was years later before Nancy spoke up and said. Not everything is is light and love, you know. Some of us don't have that kind of experience on the other side, and and we really need to discuss this and, um, you know, start seeing what we can learn from this. Because she said that whenever she was working there, first few weeks she just sat and read letters from all of these experiencers, and she was seeing others that every once in a while would come in and they would say, "You're not telling the whole story." There, it's not always wonderful. And so that kind of convicted her to come forward and say, 
look, I had one of these. Um, and in her, she went to darkness and she had yin yang symbols that were flying around and kind mm. of taunting her and telling her none of it's real. You know, your life was a lie and now you're here. And they were laughing at her and she was a pastor's daughter. And wow. so it was completely against what she was expecting. And so I really, you know, kind of connected with her on that. Um, because that's much of what I encountered being a pastor's wife and then going to the void. I had no concept of where I was. And that's why it was so distressing for me. Um, nothing outwardly was happening to me. You know, I wasn't being tormented or anything like that. Yeah. It was just nobody was answering. No, and that yeah. was was horrible enough. <laughs> you know, well, not to know where I was and, and being alone. Well, yeah. And, and it. I don't, I don't want to use the term because you've been sold a bill of goods. Um, but, but it's one of those, you know, you'd, you'd been given numerous opinions about the movie before you stepped into the theater. The difference was it was a totally different movie for you. And, yes, it was. And not everybody realizes the fact that these experiences are all individual movies, Mindy. Um, they, there may be facets of the gym that are similar to others, but the, the way that they interact with your life and the way that you interact with the world after them is what makes everyone so entirely unique. Uh, let's start getting into your actual experience on the other side and what led you there, Mindy? Well, um, I've shared this before on your show, but I'll, yeah. I'll give a quick, synopsis of it and then we can kind of dissect what happened afterwards yeah um it was 2016 november 8th it was um the day of the the election between trump and hillary and i got up that morning and face was kind of swollen and i sent a picture to my husband and said something's a little off here uh wasn't in any pain or anything but I figured, let me go jump in the shower, see if I feel better, if, you know, that'll take down the swelling some. And I got out and sat on the couch and I was, it was kind of early afternoon. So I was checking to see if there were any exit polls that had come out early because uh, I was wanting to know what was going on with the election. And I was waiting for my husband and kids to get home from school because he drove the school bus and he was a, a teacher and coach there at the local school. And my kids were young. They were elementary age at the time. And so while I was sitting there, that's when I heard the gunshot go off in my head. And I, instantly, I, I thought that I had been shot. Uh, I thought someone had shot through the wall. Wow. But I realized that I'm not bleeding or anything. And so that's whenever I finally go, okay, this has got to be a brain aneurysm because the severity of it. It was like lightning and lava flowing through my skull and I could feel my head falling. And it was like a, I say it was like an electrical avalanche. It came from like the top of my head and rolled down to my feet. And at that, I, I just knew I'm like, okay, I can't survive this. This is catastrophic. And so I started praying, being a pastor's wife. I was raised in a four-square Pentecostal church. <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I was deeply religious. Um, and so I, I turned to my religious faith and, and I started praying, you know, God, please don't let my kids find my body. If I can survive this and not be a burden on them, please let me, let me come through this. 
And I was in such just mourning, worrying about my children and worrying about what's going to happen to them that I kind of lost track of time. And the next thing I know, I didn't like see myself or feel myself lift out of my body. Next thing I know, I was just over there. I was in pure darkness and I looked around because I like, I kind of stopped praying. It was like, what, what is this? <laughs> you know, what's happening? I wasn't in any pain anymore. And I'm just kind of sitting there in the darkness. So I put my hand out and that's what's on the front of the book is me putting my hand out because I wanted to see if I could see my hand or, you mm. know, if anything was there or if it was dark and I couldn't see my hand. So then I started trying to clap because <laughs> like, well, do I have hands? And whenever I tried to clap, that's when I realized I'm really dead. I'm, I'm really crossed over. I didn't even know. I didn't take note of the journey. I was yeah. just there. Well, um, it, and it's not like there, it's not like there was fanfare. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there, I'm looking and I'm like, Okay, well, I don't really have form, but I have like super consciousness. I feel God all around me. And this was not, you know, a father, man in the sky. This was a force of creation. This was, and it yeah. was intelligent. It, it, it encompassed everything. And it was just, it surrounded me, but I was cut off from it. And that's what I didn't understand. And I started going, oh, no, you know, I, I'm waiting for the tunnel of light. I'm waiting for the loved ones. I'm waiting for Jesus to come greet me. And I'm I'm really getting worried because no one's showing up. And so I immediately start repenting and going, please, Jesus, be my righteousness. I can't get in without you. Obviously, I'm you know being thrown away for whatever reason. And I don't understand. Yeah. And I just. I mean, it was a desperate situation because I had no control over it at that time. You know, I, I, I didn't know where I was. I was all alone. I was terrified and my savior isn't coming for me. So I start, I didn't have a life review and um, that a lot of people describe. Yeah. And we can talk about that more in depth because the life review really is an important part of it. Mm. For me, it wasn't. I didn't experience it like other people do. Mine was more of a self-reflection of what have I done? What, you know, what has cut me off from God? Mm. And I'm searching my soul. I'm searching my life. And I'm like, you know, I've loved people the best I could, but I've never loved myself. And as soon as that realization came, then I have that that entity that came up over my left sh shoulder and it was it was a male energy um i could not see him but he instantly told me you're not here forever and it was instant relief it was okay someone's here and i'm not here forever i trust him i don't know who he is but yeah. i'm gonna trust him because uh, and i i talk about in the book it was like a hesitant kindness it wasn't like he was being overly kind and comforting to me. It was kind of sterile and like, and I, I, I don't know if I wrote it in the book or not, but it was like he was breaking a rule. Like he mm. wasn't supposed to be intervening, but he did. Um, okay. And I was so grateful. 
So once he did that, then we started sailing off to the left. And as we did, that's when I saw this purple glow coming into view. And that was the only thing I saw over there. And as I got closer and closer, I could see all these intersecting lines that looked like a spider web um, or a map of brain neurons. Um, and I've seen things since then that compares it to like the um, cosmic web. It's exactly what I saw. But okay. it gave off love. And he told me that's the fabric of humanity. And it was like, wow, like he had revealed something so profound to me. Um, and I could just, it, it's hard to describe in words the feeling it put off. It was just all the goodness of, of humankind. Mm. And I wanted to go towards it. And he kind of indicated no. And we sailed off to the left and I was inserted back in my body. Next thing I know. Interesting. And it, now, um, during during that those first moments uh when when you were describing f feeling that love around you but n was was it the fact that you were detached from the love or or that you just couldn't reach and find it despite feeling it having it there yeah. with you and around you it was almost like I was in an invisible container cut off from everything in creation. I, I had just lost my husband and kids. Mm. I had just lost my earthly life. Yeah. You know, they would have been over here grieving me. I was over there grieving them, you know, and I was grieving the fact that my savior, I was so alone from everything in creation was separate from me. Yeah. And I don't even know how to put that feeling into words. You know, I couldn't grab a teddy bear for comfort or, you know, I, I couldn't twiddle my thumbs. I couldn't do anything to take away that, that longing and that suffering. And you hear it in my voice still that yeah. eight years later, yeah. it, it was soul crushing to be so alone. And that's, that's why I say it wasn't negative. Nothing was, nothing happened to me. Yeah. But it was still so distressing to be in that kind of a situation because I thought as soon as I die, I'm going to be in heaven. Well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Once to again, be out of the body is, is to be a, a present with the Lord. You know? Yeah. The, the stasis that you believed would exist was not. And, right. it, and when that confirmation of belief, is is and I'm not saying that uh, what happened was not afterlife. That what happened wasn't um, still a connection to divine. It absolutely was, but it was not your believed upon path to the afterlife. It's not everything right. that you had been taught through biblical teaching, through teachings from pastors, through through every Sunday and Wednesday Bible study you'd been to in your life. Yeah. Well, and that wasn't just Sunday and Wednesday. That was every, every day, day in my house, yeah. you know, having Bible studies with my husband and kids and stuff. I longed for, you know, a wonderful heavenly reunion. And, you know, when my time came, that was my comfort. And then here I met with darkness and separation. Yeah. And I did not understand. And to come back. That's part of the distressing near-death experience. Um, 
that I'm, you know, we talked earlier. Yeah. I had gone on and, and looked at ions and ions for a long time. They focused more on the positive. Um, and, you know, I've become good friends with Dr. Kenneth Ring, who wrote the Omega Project, because mm. he was looking into the connections between UFO experiencers and near-death experiencers, yeah. which was what I found, you know, after becoming part of MUFON and working with UFO experiencers and eventually found Dr. Ring. Well, um, Ken and I have been writing back and forth. And um, where was I going with this? What were we? <laughs> We we were talking about the the experience of the divine and and yes. the fact of your experience was was not what you would have considered protocol for heading to the afterlife. Right. Thank you. Yeah, I, I get off on little That's trails okay. and then I lose my place. So, <laughs> um, so Ken Ring, uh, writing back and forth about this, um, it, he said one thing to me after reading my book and it was so touching because he said, I see now that I did not take my research far enough. Um, he helped set up ions. He has, you know, been a pioneer in the field, um, by every sense of the word. Yeah. And ions with them focusing more on the positive. It was really hard for me whenever I finally found them a couple of years later and trying to process because I was surrounded by people who had had positive experiences. Yeah. And when you have someone that's had a distressing near-death experience, they are dealing with so many different aspects that are not um, necessarily found in the positive ones. Yeah. A lot of us, we lose our religion. We lose yep. our, our you know, sense of, of a religious compass there. You at least because- come to a point of very deep question. It, well, yeah, and those that have had temporary death states, I'm not talking about people that have meditated and visited the void or whatever. I understand that there is a conscious connection. I absolutely believe that and know that there is an underlying connection yeah. there through consciousness. But they are not in the immediate physical danger state that those of us in temporary death states were. Yeah. Um, so we are dealing with the physical repercussions of whatever led us to have that near death experience. We are dealing with the, the distressing aspects of having your spirituality crushed. We're dealing with PTSD. Yeah. Um, there's one lady, uh, let me, her name is, uh, Kathy McDaniel. I guess she just came out with a book. I was looking today and she was a Catholic who went to hell and, um, <laughs> She went through awful, horrendous things. Thank God I, I didn't go down that road. You know, I can't believe that she bounced back from what she spiritually went through. But she's now working with IONS and running a distressing near-death group. Beautiful. So I'm actually signed up. I'll be going yeah. next week. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, it's one of those, Mindy, the, what I akin this to more than anything else Um is is those of us who answered a call to God and left. Um, many of us who experienced that that call to go serve, um, and the same call to leave because it's a vocation. It's not easy. I know many men yeah. that wear the collar. Um, it's 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 a hard fought life of spirituality and beautiful connection and. 
um, many people who leave the seminary, Catholic and otherwise, come across a lot of problems in life and come across a lot of questioning of faith to the point of many people losing faith. Um, and, and I, I, I call myself regularly on the show, Mindy, a, a recovering Catholic. Um, my, mine came much more to the connection with my God and my spirituality and my God in my everyday life, uh, than, than my God inside of a building with a group of people of like mind. Um, it's, it's much more precious to me to maintain my God in everyday life than it is those few days a week. Um, and that, that is what steeled me. Um, but it's, there, there is a long time of loss and, and wandering, um, and one wondering while you're wandering, you know, about these things. So I, I can't even imagine to have, to have had the spiritual connection that you had, the the religious connection with your God that you had, and then to have had what what should have been, um, at least by all by all notions of Christianity, that envious moment of right. being in presence, um, and having it scare the bejesus out of you. Yeah, you know. Um, that's, that's hard. And that's a hard reality to come crashing together with your hard fought, hard won faith. Uh, how did, how did you, how did you reconcile those things within your life? Um, is your husband still a pastor? Are you still, you know, attending church, things like that? Well, um, the attending church kind of took care of itself <laughs> because I, I had such horrible PTSD. Mm. I, a lot of near death experiencers, um, even the ones that have positive near death experiences, some of the physical after effects are, our senses are extremely heightened. Absolutely. It's like we've returned with these heightened abilities. And so I was dealing with that in the context of PTSD. And I, here in Oklahoma, of course, we have, you know, big bands and everything at church and the flashing lights. And I couldn't yeah. find like a small hometown church that, that we would go to like out in the country. So being back in Oklahoma City, it was even the small churches had the big bands and the lights and the flashing. And I was having panic attacks just yeah. trying to be there. And I'm I finally told my husband, I can't go. I literally just, I cannot be there. And I don't know if it's the religion. I don't know if it's the lights and everything. It was the lights and stuff. <laughs> because sure. I can't go to, I can't go to rock concerts anymore. I don't listen to music in my car anymore. I used to love that kind of stuff. And now I want to listen to nature sounds or, you know, 432 Hertz. Yeah. <laughs> my kids don't like it too much. But <laughs> I got the teens jamming out to, yeah. you know, Hertz By music. Beats. Just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Come enjoy the um, Schumann resonance with me, kids. <laughs> so they um but they they understand um so a lot of that i had to take a step back um just naturally and it took two years before i was physically well enough i went through a year of counseling for ptsd for the physical effects that mm -hmm. i went through yeah. and then finally 
opened up to my husband because the pandemic hit and everything and I couldn't go to, to counseling anymore is before Zoom was really widely used. Yeah. And so I, I finally told him, look, and before that, we didn't even believe in near-death experiences. It was, you know, man is destined to live once and, and that's it. Um, and to die once, that's it. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we believe that near-death experiences, well, it's got to be some kind of demonic trick or something like that. For me to come back and tell my husband, I've had a near-death experience and, oh, by the way, it was negative and Jesus didn't come for me. Now, that, that, let's hop on to that topic real quick. Um, okay. Because uh, um, while the visage of Jesus did not appear to you, a loving tunnel of light did not call to you with the family dog and Uncle Tom at the, at the end of the tunnel, um, there was a voice. There was something there was. that was present there with you. And, and once again, um, you, you, it, and until you couldn't see your hand or touch anything, um, you, you seem to at least be in, in a state of almost wonder and awe, um, yeah. at what was happening. Uh, it, it wasn't until you couldn't see your hand, um, and everything else that you became scared, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. realized, Hey, wait a minute. Death may be involved here. And why is nothing that I have learned, uh, coming like turning the corner at all? Uh, what do you make of the voice that was there? Because once again, you, you felt the love of God around you. You felt the universe around you. you I did. Know, you, you saw the, the map of the love of mankind off in the distance. Um, what do you, what do you make of the voice that was there to, to comfort you? You know, that that's a good question. Um, I cannot identify. He didn't feel human to me, but it didn't feel grand, like angelic. Um, some people would say it was a spirit guy or whatever. He seemed to know me. He seemed to know all about me and the communication was instant and telepathic. Um, as soon as I thought a question, he answered immediately. Um, and like I said, he wasn't necessarily comforting. He was kind of sterile, but he was there, you know, um, and he was just very calm and patient. I didn't take it as being Jesus, um, or any kind of deity. I didn't take it as that. Um, and so that's not anything I can even begin to try to identify. Um, sure. I felt that there was all kinds of life out there. Um, that wasn't necessarily human. There was everything imaginable within that realm that I was cut off from. Um, I could feel it all around me. Uh, there's actually, I had come across a TikTok a few years back, and it was one of those where it's like when AI was first coming out to draw things, and someone was like, oh, tell it to draw the void. And this guy did. And I'll tell you, Chris, my jaw dropped. I sat there and cried for about two hours. Wow. <laughs> and I sent it to my husband, and I said, how does this exist here? How does this exist because what it drew was exactly where I was. It has the black box that I was in. 
It has the feeling of God. It has the fabric of humanity. And it has a man standing over the left side of the box. Um, wow. I'll have to send it to you. Wow. Um, Remarkable. But it blew my mind that that could even be generated. Anything that's even that close to what, what I encountered. Um, yeah. It, it was mind blowing. Um, and I'll share that with you after this. I'll send Please. it to you. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, the reason the reason I ask about that is because, you know, I, I am I am a big believer in. Yeah, we all we all have a guide somewhere out there. We all have. Um, I don't know if you choose it to choose to believe it's a relative, uh, somebody who is watching out. Um, right. And I, I have had too many things in my life where things just turned on a pivot for a strange reason and crazy uh-huh. things happened where I should have been, um, that I was not involved in. Uh, and yeah, um, it, it's just one of those has, have, have you ever had a return to that voice? Have you ever felt that presence or that voice again since Mindy? No, I haven't. Um, and do you want to hear or feel that presence again? I mean, I'm sure I will meet him again. And when I do, I'll thank him. I mean, honestly, thank him for the kindness that he showed. Um, because I was so terrified and he knew I was. Mm. Um, and you asked, you know, where's my religious beliefs now? This has affected everything. Uh, after telling my husband, he had to say, you know, do I believe you (laughs) to, yeah, to take him on a journey from not believing from the the get go. And then here's his wife who he's, you know, now had to watch suffer and almost die multiple times. And, you know, I'm saying, Hey, there's, there's more to the afterlife than what we knew. Yeah. Um, he, he stood, he, he stood by me. He, um, said, we'll figure this out together. And he still maintains very strong Christian belief. Me, mine has changed, but it is it's so much bigger than what it ever was when yeah. I was sitting in a pew. Yeah. I know there will there's not a doubt. I, I could never have a doubt because I know God is real. I yeah. I was in that, front of him there. That, yeah. Um and he still loved me. Um, and I, I've had to go back and revisit. Sometimes I'll meditate on the void mm. and try to connect with that, that place and try to Beautiful. pull meaning from what happened. But, um, Ken Ring kind of describes it as the hero's journey. You know, you, you have to go through, you know, overcome these huge obstacles and yeah. whatnot to get the reward at the end. And that's very much what my, my journey has been. Um, not that I'm a hero or anything, but, no, but it's the overcoming of that and yeah. overcoming the mental aspects and the physical aspects and the spiritual aspects. There is so much that goes into this. Um, and then even, you know, the ridicule from family members, you know, are you saying you don't believe in Jesus now? What did you do to end up over there? You know, and, you know, are you even yeah. telling the truth? The ridicule. And the disbelief um, is it, it's soul crushing. So whenever you come back, you you come back to a family that doesn't necessarily support you. You've already been through the worst thing that you've ever been through, um, and you're struggling in every 
every instance. And then to turn to something like ions and you're hearing all these wonderful, you know, stories of heaven and you're like, what is wrong with me? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What did I do to, to end up with this one? You know? So I am so glad to see that they are addressing this. And I, I saw, Same. I was telling you earlier, I saw that they're redoing the the index that Dr. Bruce Grayson had created um, to now incorporate some of those fearful aspects. Well, because before you had to have joy for it to be a real NDE. And they've realized that sometimes there's fear and there's distress that happened during these encounters. And so they're they're now changing. And that is that's a wonderful thing because I, I know to turn well, to the, the experts and a, to still feel so rejected a, was hard. Yeah. I mean, it, it well, absolutely. But it's also one of those you cannot say. And, and this is just me coming at it for I have not had an NDE, though I am a member of IANS, things like that, and support their work. Uh, you cannot scientifically say that you are studying it. If it's like saying that you're a rocket scientist, but forget all those things that blew up on the platform. Those are useless. Yeah. They're useless to study. We have no reason whatsoever to, to to study why rockets blew up before they ever hit space. Forget those things. Let's focus on the ones that make it and why. It's, it's like toxic positivity. <laughs> you know, everything's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it's like you, you aren't going to get trajectories, right? Something went massively wrong for that rocket to blow up. And right. you have to understand the negative with the positive to get a rounded view, you know. And, well, and, and even it's to interesting hear- that Nancy Evans Bush saw the yin and yang. She saw the dark, dark and, po- and light, yeah. you know, the negative and positive. And it's so interesting to me that she became a basis and a real mouthpiece for those with distressing near-death experiences to bring that darkness in and bring that balance so that we can look at the whole thing and it's it like i said it's refreshing over the last few years i've seen kind of the change in direction um and it was so needed because it like i said it's hard enough to turn you know to your family but then to turn to the experts that are supposed to be there and to still feel that rejection yeah that was very yeah. hard um, well, and I'm, I'm hoping now with them taking these these kind of corrective actions we're going to make new breakthroughs we're going to understand yeah the other side in much deeper terms than we ever have absolutely um, and that's one thing that i've been speaking with ken ring about is whenever i came back I felt like I was rebooted into a video game and I quite literally could basically see the universe made of ones and zeros. I felt like I was, you know, in a simulation. And so that's what the last chapter of my book goes into that. Um, And, you know, of course, now I'm I'm very interested in how that ties into the UFO encounters and and, and spirituality in a deeper way, you know, and, and our connection yep. to all of these things in a deeper way. Uh, one of one of the big conversations I've been having over the last year is just the idea of quantum entanglement and and everything that that actively puts forth. All of these things that people have studied as paranormal for years uh, suddenly step into the full realm of possibility, Mindy. Um, oh, yeah. and, and the idea of not just a holographic universe, but agreed upon 
hologram Mindy. You know, like the the idea that we are 90% empty space. We are a conscious molecule in the universe. You know, that's yeah. just, it's phenomenal. You're in Oklahoma. I'm in, I'm in Austin. We're sharing an electron shell, you know, <laughs> yeah. like that. That's everything <laughs> that we learned in ninth grade science. Everything that we know to be true uh, is illusion. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've been reading um, Kiel, Eighth Tower, and he speaks in depth about the different energies that are present here on Earth and that um, he believes, you know, this is how the ultra terrestrials are breaking through and, and we're having these interactions. And um, you bring in the observer effect and the fact that, you know, uh, once we observe these waves and these molecules, it becomes physical. Uh, yeah. I, it, it, we could go on about well, this for even, even <laughs> the idea, time. the idea that a, that a three dimensional object casts a two dimensional shadow and a four dimensional object casts a three dimensional shadow, you know, um, is, is what we are seeing out there in these sightings and everything else, um, a physical reality within our realm or is it but a shadow of what's happening in a realm just above us? Or just adjunct to us, right. you know the the work of uh, Dr. Michael Masters is is amazing when it comes to that. And um, is it is it possibly us from the future or from an adjunct reality coming to figure out what the heck we did to to turn yeah. it into what they're living? You know, uh, because that seems to be a lot of the message. Even even talking earlier today with Kathleen Martin. That is that is a lot of the message that people have received during their encounters telepathically is, you know, we're we're trying to help you. We're we're trying to make sure you don't do this to yourself again. (laughs) Again Uh, is the big part of that message. (laughs) Yeah, Because we've apparently Uh, done it to ourselves before and a few times, according to these beings. And, uh, you know, just it, even the phenomenology of belief and faith, Mindy, we you and I need to do a whole episode sometime on the the concept and idea of cult. Um, yes, I, I, I am, know we, we've blown through this hour. <laughs> I am I am fascinated with belief and why. And I guess it's because, you know, my right. my beliefs changed not drastically, but largely. You know, and and to a point of large encompassing belief. Um, right. And and when I see people now, granted, um, there are people in many cults out there that have been fully brainwashed, taken advantage of things like Nixium, stuff like that, um, where where people have hijacked a thought form that you are looking for and they are using that to rope you in. However, you think of the Twin Flames universe. Have you seen that? Yeah. Um, and we were talking earlier about the FLDS and kind of the things. I guess they they're really watching them for um, some kind of mass suicide. Yeah. Warren Jeff is saying things very close to what um, Applewhite Apple was saying. Applewhite was saying as far and and you know that's a that's a big one for me because I, um, I know quite a few LDS members. You know, they're, they're good families. 
Um, I, I am a believer that, you know, within any good organization, there's always bad people. There's just bad people. Um, and I, there's nothing you can, I, I, I can tell you right now, folks, as a former Catholic seminarian, I went through weeks of psychological examination before I was ever even allowed to be a seminarian. Like Minnesota multi-physical tests, all kinds of things. All right. Um, and those things continue throughout your time. So if you're able to get through that, you, my friend, you are a sociopath, tried and true, hardcore to the bone. You're a sociopath. Um, if you make it through those tests and you make it through everything and you are still able to hide your propensities amongst things. Um, and, and I am a true believer that there are those there, uh, out in the world. However, when it comes to Marshall Applewhite, when it comes to the things with uh, true belief, you know, like I, I'll say it all day long, transubstantiation, things like that, we can question all day long. I will never say I believe there's a God. I know there's a God, Mindy. Belief, belief requires faith, and I don't have faith, I know, because of my experiences. I know. Did you read that in my book? <laughs> no, it's it's just it's it's a fact, you know. Um, yeah. Much much like any Bigfoot sighter that I know that had had a sighting and it changed their life. They don't believe yeah. in Bigfoot. They know that things they out there. They know it. They know it. Yeah. Um, because of their experience and because of my experiences, um, I I know that what I know to be God and the universe is out there. It's real, um, whether or not it is the man known as Jesus Christ or what have you, who knows? But I know the presence of my God. And when it comes to true believer, when it comes to those things, um, there's, there's a different world, Mindy. And it's, uh -huh. it's interesting. Um, I, what fascinates me is those once again left behind, much like, uh, former seminarians. And their journey after fascinate me, mm -hmm. much like people like yourself who have had the afterlife journey that nobody expects or understands fascinates me um, because yeah. it is different than the average experience, you know, and it, it steals your life in a totally different way than than those that saw the warm white light tunnel and and walked down it and then came back down the same tunnel you know yeah. um now with with the last few minutes that we have what what advice do you give those that have experienced good or bad when it comes to NDE Mindy well i'll tell you it's a perfect time to share um what Ken Ring called the golden rule and i had spoken about it briefly at the beginning um, when people are having their life reviews and it's typically the people that have had, you know, good heavenly experiences and they've gone through a life review process mm. and they explain it as living through it in the other person's shoes. So you actually feel how you made that person feel in that moment. Sure. You feel the repercussions of your actions. And so when they come back, they then you know, try very hard not to 
be awful to people. They try to extend that love and that graciousness to each person because they know how awful it is that they've made others feel. Um, and I think that that's something that everyone can take from near death experiences, whether they were, you know, distressing or they were good. Either way, we, anybody that's gone through that kind of encounter has in, in, you know, had to live through some kind of trauma. And yeah, we come out on the other side trying to be much more gracious and trying to be much more loving. And there is no way to deny the fact that we are all connected in that one consciousness and truly what you're doing to others, you are doing to yourself. And um, we've, we've got to keep that in mind. We're letting these religious orthodoxies and whatnot divide us. And we're losing sight of the fact that we're all human. We're all trying our best and uh we've got to strive to be better yeah and i i think a a big part of your experience for me was was that moment where you said um there was the fabric of humanity but that's not for you right now um and how have you come to love yourself since mindy and and to uh, because you know that i I believe that's why that fabric of humanity was not for you yet. Right. Was, well, and was I told you, my husband, you hadn't learned to love yourself enough to accept the fact that you're just part of that fabric of humanity. Yeah. Um, I told my husband, I think that I already exist there, um, which is a, kind of a hard concept. I was already there whenever I was passing by it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Um, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was blown away. I was watching an interview the other day and um, it was brought up about a man who had had a positive near death experience and he actually entered the light and he described it as a constellation of souls that was encompassed in love. And I said, oh, my gosh, John, this this was something from 30 years ago or something, you know, and wow. it's, I I had never heard anyone else say that they had, you know, encountered Something that sounds very much like my fabric of humanity, which I describe in the book as a harmony of souls. Um, yeah. I, how could I not love myself knowing that I'm part of that, that I'm part of this grand creation and that I'm here for a reason? Once I got my act together, once I got past the PTSD enough and, you know, got past to to integrate what I had been through and really kind of look at religion and spirituality and where I stood on everything. I'll tell you, number one, the love of my husband and my kids, the unwavering love mm. from them. Um, whereas most near death experiencers there, they end in divorce. Mine didn't. Thank God. That's beautiful. Um, I saw that displayed in my husband and I mean, it allowed me to build myself back up and in, embrace everything weird about me that I've always wanted to be. I've always wanted to do UFO investigations. I've always wanted to, you know, be a talking head. And now I'm sitting here talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I am living my dream because I finally embraced my purpose and why I'm here. And I, I couldn't be any happier. You know, I, I had denied myself so long. So um, how do I love myself? I wake up every day and, and I do. I live my purpose. Exactly. 
Exactly. I, I couldn't have put that any better. That is the easiest <laughs> way to love yourself. I don't care if it's playing on a guitar, what have you. Uh, spend the time doing what you love. Uh, if yep. that is the most selfish thing you do in the world, let it happen daily. Make sure to be selfish. Sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's one of those of, uh, until your cup is full, you literally have nothing to be able to give anybody. Your cup will remain empty, impartially empty. You could try to look at that as a half full glass all day. You're thirsty. Yeah. It, it'll never be half full. You know, and and you do have to be whole in one within yourself. You know, we we live in a very, very fast paced society where we no longer take the time um, to cultivate things the way that we used to. You know, we we at one point, even in the even in the days of our grandparents, Mindy, um, they had victory gardens. They had they had reasons to do things for other people. You know, um, I don't think there I don't think I ever saw a single person visit my Cajun grandfather's house and not leave with a bag of groceries from his garden. You know, yeah. that's that that's just how they were. It's what they were. Um, and they would have thought of being no other way. Um, they they would have thought themselves, uh, you know, probably less than if they weren't able to give somebody a a bag of bounty from their garden in the backyard, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, and, that's physical ways. I'm, I'm just thinking it's so easy just to let people know, Hey, I like you. Yeah. I like you. You're a likable person and I'm glad you're here. You know, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes that's all people need to know is at least one person on this earth likes you and they know, you know, they're happy that you're here. Yeah. And they understand. And I guarantee it's more than just one person. Um, I know how alone I felt over there by myself. Yeah. I never want anyone to feel that alone. Um, I will always like you. <laughs> you know? Beautifully, yeah. beautifully said. Where can people go to get in touch with you, Mindy? Where can they go to? Uh, because, of course, you you uh, with the Hayden Hughes International UFO Bureau, you take in cases uh you also do work with mufon adjunctly all kinds of things where can people go to share their experiences with you where can they go to find out more about mindy Totfest? get your book everything yeah they can visit my website mindy that's m-i-n-d-y-t-a-u-t-f-e-s-t.com uh there's a link to my book on there and um you can get it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or whatever. Um, and for those that like music, I have a little playlist on there that kind of spoke to me the entire time that I was going through my healing journey. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, you should go on and listen to it. Enigma. Oh, my goodness. Um, they have one called All Men and that. I can't tell you how many times I cried to that song, but mm. <laughs> it um it really encompasses the feeling of the book and kind of what I went through. So I'd encourage people to go listen. All right. Well, Mindy, thank you so much as always for coming on the show, sharing your experiences. I know you have many, many uh hidden tidbits that that cannot be announced yet. And I am very excited for you about things on the horizon. So congratulations on all those fronts. I'm so proud for you. Well, thank and you. I know. Always I'm glad to call you, you not only guest, but friend, hun. 
Um, always yeah. a pleasure chatting with you. Hold the line real quick while we close <laughs> things out with the audience. Uh, while while you are online checking out the amazing work of Mindy Topfist, everybody at MindyTopfist.com, remember to stop on by Curious Realm. CuriousRealm.com is, of course, where you can like, follow, subscribe, share, comment. That's where you can find all the episodes. That's where you can tune in live every Tuesday along with our Facebook and YouTube. Uh, you can also visit CuriousRealm.com forward slash store to buy not only Mindy's book, but all of the books, classes, everything from our guests on Curious Realm. And of course, if you are a Roku uh, user, if you have Roku devices, a Roku TV, everything else, the Curious Realm app is officially available. And inside of there is tons of binaural beat music. So if you are a binaural beat listener, like our good guest, Mindy Topfus, make sure to stop on by. Download that. It's absolutely free. It has all of our content as well as some amazing music, everybody. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in as always. Uh, thank you so much to Mindy for coming on. Remember, it is your open hearts, your open minds that keep the conversation going, everybody. And without that conversation, we do not march forward as humanity. So take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Stay curious. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Curious Realm. Stay tuned for more guests, forbidden topics, and hidden truths. Download the official Curious Realm app and view the Knowledge Vault on our website, CuriousRealm.com. Follow us on social media by searching Curious Realm. Curious Realm is available on your favorite podcast services, as well as YouTube, Roku, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV through the APR TV app, available on all app markets. Thanks for listening. Stay curious. And remember, the other side is always watching.